Magnificent morning, folks. This is Jay Jameson with Her Story Podcast. Her is an acronym for Heroic, Empowering, and Resilient. And this is a self-improvement, self-acceptance, and women empowerment podcast. My main purpose is to encourage, empower, and motivate all women by highlighting their personal stories of triumph over adversity. Each of us has a story. Maybe it's an illness, a financial burden, or a dead-end job. In general, unforeseen circumstances can make you feel isolated or alone. But when you feel like you've hit rock bottom, it doesn't mean that it is the end of your story. It is within the darkest nights we produce the brightest stars. There are women out there who have gone through the very same barriers you are facing today, but they didn't give up. In fact, they used their difficulties to mold them into strong and resilient women. And if they can break through their hardships, so can you, because you are her. Heroic, empowering, and resilient. And great morning, folks. Again, this is Jay Jameson with her story. It's another day, another morning to crush and accomplish goals, but also just another chance to share our past lessons and experiences to empower and teach others within this journey of life. If this is your very first time listening, this podcast is a platform created to highlight the accomplishments of women by sharing their relatable experiences. In our current culture, we highlight the glow up, but we don't necessarily discuss our adversities along the way. This podcast is an outlet to highlight all women, but specifically women of color, as we have been historically ignored and underappreciated, yet in my personal opinion, we are the most resilient and intelligent individuals on this planet. So we are here today just to simply celebrate us. And so today I have with me, Dr. Joseph. What is up, Doc? What is going on? Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. Um, it's such a pleasure to be able to be on this podcast with you. I can't wait to share information and hope to doing just exactly what you do all the time, which is empowering. And I think that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm really, really happy that you are taking the time out today to record. Um, you have so many accomplished, just a woman of so many titles, just to name a few, um, Gambit 40 Under 40, Biz New Orleans Top 10 CEOs, 2019, 2018, um, Millennial Awards finalists, 73rd edition of Who's Who in America. And we could go on and on. Just a woman of so many, uh, accolades and titles um it's really empowering and inspiring right especially for young girls for young women and just women of color just to see people who look like them who are out here just doing the thing very passionate about what they do and really changing the trajectory of certain things throughout the state and you are from new orleans correct correct i am from new orleans really from marrero um but of course, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just right over the bridge. Right, right, right. <laughs> so um, I'm not from New Orleans, but I do live here now. I live in okay. Metairie, but, you know, whatever. Okay. Same thing um, to me. I'm not from here, but <laughs> I do I do know how some people are like, you know, Metairie, that's not the city. You know, across the river, that's not the city. Whatever. Um, New Orleans surrounding areas. Shout out to the city. <laughs> So it's a big uh, deal. It's a big deal out here, right? Right. <laughs> I get yeah. Time for not being from 
New Orleans. I'm like, well, I'm from New Orleans, but I'm really from the West Bank. They're like, ah, oh, that's not New Orleans. Right. That was <laughs> like really one of the first things I learned when I moved out here. I'm like, ooh, okay, Metairie, not New Orleans. Got it. Noted. Um, 15 minutes away, but noted. Uh, <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Uh, We're so right. <laughs> so happy that you're here. Um, you're also Thank the you. founder and CEO of Joseph Ford Enterprises, and it's a high-level speech yeah. and hearing center. And you built yeah. this eight-figure empire in three years. So I, I hope that we can get into that yeah. too, because that is just outstandingly amazing in three years. I really want to hear um, some more information about that. And just how your past experiences really propelled you into your future and the success of your career. And um, it's ironically that, you know, your adversities, they did shape your entire vision and your goal to launch your business and um, your career. And it kind of like just ties in to everything that her story really represents. So thanks again. Um, Thank you. No problem. So uh, going into your childhood and, you know, children, we know that certain words and different experiences throughout your adolescent years and as a child, they can really shape you and um, your character and things growing up, even into your adulthood. I uh, always share the story of me overcoming anorexia at a very young age, right in middle school, uh, very concerned about the images of what I saw on TV and certain words and things that were told to me about my appearance Mm -hmm. from my peers, even, you know, certain family members. And of course, you know, you you get roasted and clowned by your cousins and things Mm -hmm. like that. But Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. words, words do, they do hurt. And um, they definitely can just shape your your whole mindset of how you view yourself, how you carry yourself um, throughout your entire life. So you mentioned that uh, for years within your childhood, you suffered from both speech and hearing disorders, but you didn't receive any early intervention. So my question is really, I know that children will be children, right? And I'm sure uh-huh. they... Uh-huh had certain words and they probably did tease you. Like, how did you wrap your mind around those feelings of isolation or being teased as a child? And, you know, did did that bring you into like a stage of depression or, you know, um, did you even feel as though you were different from other children at such a young age? So um, first I want to say that was years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. so it would be easy for it, or it should be easy for me to say, um, you know, I don't know. I don't remember. But can I tell you that's not the case at all? Right. I remember exactly how I felt. You know, there's a saying that says um, people don't know how much you, um, they don't remember how um, much you know, but they want to, but they'll always remember how much you feel. We always say, how you make them feel, I'm sorry. We always say that in the medical field, especially when we're caring for our patients and we want them to understand, um, we want our providers to understand the importance of how we treat people. But anyway, going back to my story, um, I I remember exactly how I felt. I remember the people's names who teased me. 
because I couldn't pronounce the word strawberry. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned about being bullied by cousins when you face anorexia. It's interesting because the first folks that bullied me were my cousins <laughs> because of my speech impediment. Um, but for some reason, even with that, with experiencing or remembering that, that didn't even hurt as much as it did when I went into the school system uh, with these people who didn't care about me, didn't know anything about me. And, you know, and then, you know, as a child, you start that process of becoming aware of who you are really early on. Um, we always tell our, our patients and our providers, we start that process at the age of um, about eight years old or, or around the third grade. And, um, you know, that's when you start kind of identifying or finding your own identity and noticing that you are different from someone else. Um, I remember... Uh, I remember being, uh, it's funny now, right? Um, but not so much for people who are still enduring it. Um, but I remember running around the schoolyard because I had this big girl chasing behind me. Um, oh, wow. With school bully. Mm-hmm. And, and making me feel like um, I was less than her, less than anyone else in the school, really. Um, again, several years ago, I'm 32 years old now. Mm-hmm. But I still remember that moment. I remember her name. I remember the gentleman who would uh, call me names and um, and make fun of me and make fun of the way I spoke. I remember him vividly. Uh, still several years ago, but I still remember that. Right. Um, I remember the people who, even as growing up uh, in elementary school, who I thought were my friends then who would make fun of me, but I assume that because they have, they didn't mind me around them and because I wanted to be around, I'll be honest, I wanted to be around the beautiful people um, at the school, the ones who were popular and things like that, so I would let them bully me. Isn't that interesting? Right, um, yeah. I guess that's a, right, that's, a, that's kind of like a piece in itself, right? It's mm-hmm. another uh, topic of discussion, how we sometimes we try to, um, put ourselves with the people who we think are beautiful because that's how we want people to see us. Right. Um, and yeah. we'll sacrifice who we really are and our true identities just to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, but I remember that. I remember that. And I, I really remember the feeling of when I would say this was around the sixth grade when I realized that I really, really, really was different. This was in medical, middle school, I'm sorry. And um, how I was really trying everything to fit in and realize at that moment that I could not. Yeah. And those feelings are sadness. You're right. It is depression. Um, it might, when I was that age, I didn't necessarily know what to call it. I didn't know how to identify it. I didn't know it had a name and I didn't know it had, there was a purpose behind it. And I also didn't know it was something that was just a result of one small thing, one small imperfection. Um, and, it, and that was just my speech impediment. Right. And I guess that goes into, uh, I mean, a lot can be said for that as well, right? Again, we, we think that just because we are assumed to be different by others, that it's a huge issue that we're suffering with when it can be easily shifted and changed. And for me, that was an eight-year problem that I dealt with that was changed in three months. 
in three months oh my god really that's that's so interesting and you really said a lot because it's those lessons and those experiences from a child that even some individuals as adults still are trying to overcome those barriers right their feeling of acceptance like tell me who you are and i'll tell you who your friends are you know or even we can even move further into being in relationships right you know this person may down talk you may make you feel as though you're inferior but because of the image right because of how others perceive you how your family perceives you you don't want them to know the harsh realities of things that are going on so it's um it's all about sometimes feeling as though you have to to hide within your own skin and you can't come uh to your own being and you know not really understanding who you are or your worth and things of that nature and as a child too you know it's always those traumatic experiences that they will stick with you. I remember certain instances in school and just like you said, I remember first name, last name. And when I tell stories yeah. with other people, you know, they laugh. They're like, Janae, you know, you remember when you came out of your mama's womb, you just remember too much. And I'm just like, no, I still remember in three. And when I was three years old in preschool or in the tunnel and eating cookies, when such and such told me this, or they made me feel this type of way, you know, certain things actually, yeah. they they stick out and they make a mark on your life and you stated that um like the the adults or those within the school system didn't really uh care or you know they I guess they had the attitude as though that they didn't really care so how were you actually introduced to different learning mechanisms and you said you began speech therapy at the age of 12 was it so who um actually introduced you know your parents or whomever it was a mentor you know who gave you these resources and information of how it could actually be corrected So early intervention wasn't something that was necessarily promoted several years ago. Um, It was more so of if a child has a problem, and the school system still resembles this type of philosophy, if a child has a problem and it causes a behavioral issue, then we're going to do something about it. Right. But as long as that child isn't outspoken, as long as that child is behaving well, as long as that child is making A's and B's, they're not causing a problem. You know what? They're good. We're going to keep pushing them on. That was me. Mm-hmm. I was that child that was not outspoken. I made A's and B's. I did not cause behavioral issues because my mom believed in ruling her house with an iron fist. And I did not want to see that belt when I got home. I feel you. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I look, I was one of the most disciplined children that was probably at uh, Ellender Middle School during that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I, so I wasn't someone who the school necessarily targeted. I wasn't an issue for them. Um, and with having a speech issue, most people that have speech and hearing issues, we go into social isolation and we become kind of quiet. And that was me. I, I wasn't causing any issues. I was quieter. Um, and so again, just not being the problem. So, um, so the adults in my, in my school, I don't think it wasn't that they didn't care. It was just that it wasn't a problem. Right. There was no problem. And they didn't realize also, I think it's a lack of education. We do a better job now, a much better job now. And pediatricians do a much better job now 
um, of, of making sure that our parents are aware of milestones and de- developmental milestones, including not just the physical milestones, but also milestones such as speech and behavior and hearing and, and vision and things like that. So um, for my mother, it wasn't something that um, in my family, so culturally, that you went to therapy for. Right. Uh, it was more so something that you change or they're just they're, that's just how she talks. So either you're going to change it because I'm going to whip you until it comes out of you or that's just how you talk. That's just called, not that my mom did that, but that's just culturally that's how that the speech impediment was seen. That's right. how mm-hmm. what it was viewed as. Just prominent within the black um, community. Absolutely. Absolutely. All the time. In fact, um, yesterday I was in church. And our pastor, bless his heart, he um, had mentioned, he, and people hear this often in black churches or around black um, groups of folks, they'll say, uh, there was no ADHD back then. There right. was no diagnosis mm-hmm. of that. You know, ADHD, we took a belt and we whipped the ADHD out of you. That's what, you know, and everybody would cheer. But I don't necessarily know that that's the right way to approach those kind of issues. Right. And you can very well say the same thing for speech issues. Right. Mm-hmm. And the builder will not correct that. Exactly. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Time with a child does, but not necessarily a belt, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so it was the school nurse who really um, uh, pointed it out. She pointed it out. And um, she pulled my mother on the side and they began to have a relationship where the my mother um, became more educated because of what she was teaching her um, on uh, the impact that all of the speech issues was having. In fact, um, one of the first procedures I had done, something that people don't commonly uh, hear about, was dental work. So I yes. had an overbite. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And the first thing that I had done prior to me even getting speech therapy was I went to LSU dental school and because we were on Medicaid, so we had to go where we could. Mm-hmm. And um, LSU provided a program, which they still do for underserved populations of people and they'll provide you the dental work at low to no cost. And so we went over there and I had, I got braces. Once I got braces, then they enrolled me into speech therapy, which my mom had to fight for. Even now, unfortunately, those things are not different. Yeah. Um, we still have kids who are underserved populations. If mama doesn't go in act a food, then they'll probably get missed for services, um, which is a model that my company really tries to, to follow is, um, you know, no matter who that child is, we shouldn't distinguish between whether or not they should receive services because of their um, status, their economic status, and we shouldn't do it just because their behavior um, is poor. We should do it because that child needs it. Exactly. So, um, mm-hmm. yes, yes. So after my mom really went in and, and battled with the nurse and um, and got her on her side, really, and not really the nurse, I guess, battled with the administration and got them on, on the nurse's side and my mom's side, then I was able to be seen for speech therapy. But like I said, only three months of speech therapy it was all I needed. Yeah. Three months for a problem that I had had for over eight, eight years. years. That so is... all of the bullying, the teasing, the low self-esteem, not feeling like I was um, 
I was, uh, I matched up to other kids in my class, mm-hmm. feeling worthless, feeling lower than everyone else, or um, not as great. And I mean, three months, and then all of a sudden, I changed. That's when I saw that shift. Right. Yeah. I remember um, oh, one no. of the uh, one of the first speeches that I did uh, was when I was at my school. Um, and I had in, in um, middle school and I remember that was shortly after I had finished speech therapy and the, um, it was for a medical academy type of program. And I remember I did so well in that speech and that's what really started making me more confident. It, it gave me the confidence I needed. I realized then that I was able to overcome this issue mm-hmm. that had held me back for so long. And um, that was just the beginning. After that, I started the newspaper club in my school. I was doing, um, I had done basketball for years. So then I was leading the team and um, doing more things there. I even went into um, joining different clubs and even ran for homecoming queen. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so yes. So, mm-hmm. so just different things like that that I would have never done had I, you know, had boyfriends and stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, I would have never done any of that if I had not received the assistance that I needed. And um, I really hope that more parents, I hope that my company is able to teach more parents so that they can understand that early intervention truly is key. Because the other component of that is, okay, well, let's go back to what if we had done this three months, eight years ago, you know, what kind of impact would that have had on my life? And how many other children out of the 20% of the population that suffers with speech and hearing issues, how many more of those kids are still not getting early intervention services whose lives have been forever changed by an issue that can literally be corrected? Right. And simply because, like you said, within our culture and community, certain things are just you know, thrown or uh, swept under the rug and ignored, you know, or it's just an acceptance of what it is. And, you know, why I got so excited when you were like, you know, it was uh, dental work and my overbite is because I uh, do, I have a slight lisp, right? Um, And it's because I have an overbite and I have a a permanent retainer. So I I pretty much kind of, I I control it at times, but just um, being teased about that, I was always teased about that. And so what I did, I still use that as motivation because I enjoy public speaking. So it's like what I do now for a living, I speak to people throughout the country. I'm on panels. I do empowerment conferences. So it's like taking those small things that people like to point out, that they like to tease you about, and using that as motivation, right, to to create change. To, to highlight certain yes. things, to create change, and to just empower others who are going through it. And um, really, kudos to your nurse who noticed, uh, <laughs> you know, what was going on and um, yes. spoke to your mom about that. And when um, I had a very short interview today with one of uh, the partnering organizations that I work with, and it was a question that was answered is like, what is compassion? And I said, you know, compassion is not necessarily always having uh, empathy or sympathizing with someone in a situation, but rather when you care, providing 
uh, viable solutions, right? You know, it, it's change in action. So her listening, uh, realizing what the, what the problem was and trying to talk and come up with different solutions, introducing you to, to the therapy and the things that were necessary to make that change. So I just related that small situation into what compassion really, you know, means to me. It's coming up with those solutions and changing those outcomes. So, um, that was really amazing. And like you said, three months, three months compared to eight years, it could have been yeah. so quickly corrected. So uh, the educational yeah. piece is so important. So you're doing things like this, the different articles, you going on um, different podcasts and just making sure that people are aware of your company and your services and educating our community. Because again, it is so important within the black communities, within the working class communities to to educate 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 and realize that you know yeah. you can't always pray through everything it is it, it is okay to go to someone to go to a doctor to go to a therapist to go to a counselor and to seek some type of attention to correct certain situations right so um that educational piece is so important and I just wanted you to share just a little bit about your actual, your business, right? Um, I know you took all of this uh, for, you know, the motivation for you to continue your education. You you earned your uh, doctorate in audiology. So I know that your past experiences shaped your future. But honey, I just want to know how you began your business from the ground up. And it's so, you you know, it's just so amazing that you have this amazing company just within three years. But I know that it took hard work. It took determination. It took networking. So if you could just share a little bit about that and of all, of course, give words to, to the aspiring entrepreneurs out there. Sure. So, you know, it's it's funny because a lot of times when people see your success, they believe that it happened all overnight. Right. Mm -hmm. And even though my success happened, um, or I'll say my business has been in, in um, has been established for three years since 2016. Congratulations. The, the part that, thank you, thank mm -hmm. you. But at the actual, um, forming the business and getting it up to where we are now and having the pleasure of being featured in Forbes and the CEO, top 10 CEOs of New Orleans and things like that. That stuff happened. That stuff was a path that was being uh, prepared for me, I would say, at least back in the day in 2005 when I joined the sign language ministry at my church, you know, things like that, small things. And I would have never guessed that I would eventually end up working with people that are hearing impaired. But it's funny how God will put you in a place that of preparing you for your next level and for your journey. Right? right. And I guess I would even dare to say that even the fact that I, me having the speech impediment and if I had received early intervention maybe I wouldn't have as great of a story to tell and to be able to share with other people who are facing the same issues you know so I, I really believe I would dare to even say that that journey began then mm -hmm. at 12 years old um, or at 8 years old when I was facing the bullying and the teasing and social isolation and then at 12 and, and my mom's journey or my mom's 
uh, fight with the school board and the school administration to even allow me to get therapy and, and then moving on from there. So, um, so I believe that for all entrepreneurs, no matter what, they should always remember that their journey begins long before their success. Yes. Um, and to always make sure that the passion that you have, the, the whatever stimulated that passion, that you never forget it, that you never lose sight of it and continue to let it fuel your fire so that you can get to the next goal and get to the next level and, and continue to step forward. Because we never, ever, um, we never, ever should get to the point where of complacency. Right. Um, although some people do, and that's fine, but you always should be as an entrepreneur looking for the next level thing. Um, so with my company, I did spend a lot of time working on uh, my business plan. I spent a lot of time when I was in school, in audiology school. Um, I was I had already gone to um, to the University of New Orleans, that's where I got my master's degree in healthcare management. So I knew prior to going to audiology school, prior to being accepted into school, that I wanted to be a doctor for the hearing impaired, and I wanted to start a practice. Did I know how the heck to do it? No, no. <laughs> not at all. I had no idea. Even after having a degree in healthcare management, I still didn't know how to start a business. There is no book for it. Right. You can read as right. many books as you want, <laughs> but there is no specific book that you can read that's going to say, okay, this is what you do to start your business. Mm-hmm. Every business should really have a piece of you in it, and no, there's no one on this earth that can tell you um, how to be you except for you. Right. Um, so, so, so just being able to incorporate the things you love, your passion, your story, your legacy, um, into your business. I, I think every entrepreneur should be able to do that. And then being diligent about the work. So back to work ethic. My husband always says that I have the greatest work ethic ever. And I think he means that. Um, I think he fully, fully means that. Um, and that's because, um, I, I am relentless when it comes to things. I, I'm one of those people that will, I will research, research, research until I find the answer. And if I find an answer I don't like or I'm not con- content with, I'll go and look for more answers. Um, and I'll go to the source. And you have to be able to take that step as an entrepreneur. You can't be afraid. Um, one of the things, um, Jessica Dupart, um, I hope I said her name right, Jessica Dupart or Dupont. She's, um, uh, the, what do they call They call her Judy, right? Yeah. And I yeah. love one of the things she said. Yeah, I love one of the things that she said. And um, she said that she would go into Instagram and she would DM people, not knowing whether or not those folks would respond back or not. But she took that step, that one extra step. She put herself out there. And, and it takes vulnerability. You have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You have to put yourself out there. You asked me about networking. Unfortunately for African-American women, it ain't all that easy. It's not. I know. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Mm-hmm. 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 And you have to be willing to willing to feel like, uh, like you know, made. I, I don't want to say made fun of, but you have to be willing to feel vulnerable. I think that is just the word to use. <laughs> you have to be willing to be vulnerable in, in these situations of communicating with people. And you know when you do take that extra step? you often find that it was so worth it because you we criticize ourselves more than other people do. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, yeah, we criticize our ourselves worst way more. All the time. We're way critical. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And um, I, I just believe that once again, going back to work ethic, putting yourself out there, you have to be willing to do all of that. You have to do give everything it takes, everything it takes in order to get to where you want to be. And if you're not willing to do that, then you need to go work for somebody else. Right. Well, thank you so much. You know, I really like that you pointed out the importance of having that passion because as you stated, you know, it's the work is going to be tiring. It's going to be hard. It's not always going to be sunshine, but it's that passion that will always drive you and just give you the the power to keep going and to keep fighting and to keep uh, working so hard for what it is that you believe in. So uh, those words were very, very impactful. And I know for certain that it's going to encourage and just empower whomever is listening to uh, this recording. So um, before we do close, do you have any social media handles or how can people actually reach out to you or your company if they're interested and need more information? Sure, I absolutely do. They can find me at, on Instagram at Dr. J, the hearing doc. And they can also follow my company, High Level Speech and Hearing Center, on Instagram at High Level Hearing NOLA, as well as visit our website, www.highlevelhearingnola.com. And, of course, we're in New Orleans. We have two locations in Harahan and Uptown, and we'd be happy to serve as many people as we need to to make sure that our mission of impact and everyone in our community comes into fruition. Awesome. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Dr. Joseph, she is really uh, just an amazing person. I really did enjoy this interview. And um, just always remember that your story is not solely for you. It's meant to be shared with other women and to provide hope to those facing similar hurdles. You don't have to be ashamed and you definitely don't have to be afraid to share. You are a victor. You are a winner and you will not be defeated. You declare growth and prosperity over your life, and troubles do not last always. You are brilliant, bold, and beautiful. You are her, heroic, empowering, and resilient. So I hope that if you are encouraged or empowered in some way that you can share this week's episode, you can find her story on uh, Instagram at her underscore podcast. It is also available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And again, this is Jay Jameson with her story and we're out. We're out.